Dallas, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm one of the leaders here. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, We are in the last week of our Spiritual Practices series, and next week we're going to start a six-week series in the book of Exodus. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to tonight as well. Um, We have looked at uh, Sabbath and talk about the importance of taking intentional time to rest in the name of Jesus in this series. We've talked about service and how important that was. And in fact, some of the letters that were written, the disciples, they would uh, call themselves servants. So we talked about the idea that we don't want to just serve occasionally. We want to become the kind of person whose service flows out of us and we become a servant. And then we talked about rejoicing and how that's such an underrated spiritual practice that as life kind of hits us, we we need to be a people of rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. Paul says like 16 times in the book to Philippi, he says what? Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I'll say rejoice. And here tonight, uh, we could have picked a, a lot of different spiritual practices, but we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of prayer. And we're going to look through the Lord's Prayer here tonight in Matthew chapter 6. And I find it interesting, starting in verse 5, while you're turned there, I find it interesting that Jesus says, uh, and when you pray. And I find that interesting because he assumes that we will be praying, that we have access to the creator of the universe. And so what an amazing opportunity to pray. So he makes the assumption that, that as my disciples, you will be a people of prayer. And I think tonight, the single most important thing that we can do to take steps in our relationship with Jesus, to experience peace, to do all these things, is to increase our prayer life here tonight. I think that's the single most important thing that we can do. Um, We're going to look at how Jesus taught us to pray tonight, but before we do that, I think we should address what I think is so important, and it is that God just wants to hear from us. That's the main thing, right? And I think sometimes people don't pray because they'll say, well, I just don't know what to pray. And the irony is that in itself would be a great prayer to say, God, I don't know what to say. It's a great prayer. I mean, it's honest. It's humble. It's to the point. It's authentic. And I think so often we think, I I don't want to, you know, mess up and not say the right thing. But think about it like this. If you had a kid who you hadn't talked to in a very long time, and that kid all of a sudden comes to you, you'd focus a lot less on what that kid is saying and a lot more on the fact that that kid is coming up to you and talking to you. I mean, even if that kid was coming up to you to scold you in some way, you would rather that than no communication at all. So I think for us, it's just talking to God. Increasing the frequency by which we talk with him and not even to have to talk, just to sit and be with him. I think this is what God desires for us. And as we do that, we will learn what it looks like more and more, how to pray as well. Uh, We're going to start here in verse 5. Jesus had an issue with the way in which the Pharisees were praying, and it had to do with their hearts. We'll read here in verse 5. It says, uh, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, 
they have received their reward in full. So the term hypocrite um, is often more closely translated as actor. So in that time, uh, actors would consistently wear um, a masquerade over themselves as they would be in a play and stuff like that. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the Pharisees are putting up a facade. So when they are behind closed doors, they have zero prayer life. And what they're doing is, at the most highly trafficked times in the day, they would go out, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock. They'd go out in front of people and appear holy to the people around them. So when Jesus says that their reward is paid in full, you can look at a story like Luke 14 where Jesus says, when you invite people over, when you bring people into your life, bring those who have nothing to offer you so that your reward will come from the kingdom of God, not from man. And so what Jesus is saying here is the reward that the Pharisees have received is that people are viewing them as holy. That's their reward. Their reward has come from the scene, the aspect of appearing like they're holy people. And Jesus is saying what they're missing is their reward will not be from what is unseen and from the kingdom of God. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, don't pray in public. That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying that we have got to become the kind of people who are a praying people, no matter if people are watching you or not. And that's a very important thing for us to realize, that, that we don't have to care about people seeing us anymore. That what we care about is our relationship with God is the unseen. And so there's a story earlier in this same chapter where Jesus is saying, don't be like the ones who give to the needy and they blow their trumpets so that everybody around will see their action. And what Jesus is saying here is, you don't have to live like that anymore. That it doesn't matter that you can actually become, instead of just showing and, and, and having people perceive you as somebody who prays, it would be much better for you just to become someone who prays. And the fact that you don't have to have somebody watch you, and, and what this does for us in our hearts is it allows us not to have any contingencies about the way people respond to what we're doing, whether it's praying or giving or serving or all these things. We don't have to be concerned anymore about people's responses. So whether people see us do it or they don't see us do it, it doesn't matter why, because our thoughts are on the kingdom and not people viewing us. And I think that's so important for us here moving forward. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Have you ever just spent a few minutes listening to a politician talk, and you leave there and you say, wow, I heard like a 45-minute speech, but he or she didn't really say anything, right? Have you ever thought, wait, like this seems pretty empty, this seems pretty shallow. This is what Jesus is talking about here. 
that when you talk to God, He wants real, genuine, authentic relationship. In fact, you see, uh, often David would pray something like, God, I accuse you of abandoning me. Because that's where his heart was at in that moment, right? It was okay for him to pray that. It wasn't okay for him to stay there. But it was okay for him to pray that because he was being real and honest with God. And I think God would so much rather us come to him that way than to have empty praise on our lips. Now, again, he doesn't just want the fluff. He wants the real stuff. And I think when we realize that, man, how much more freeing is it to say, wow, we get to have a father that we can talk to and we can just share our mind with him and he'll walk alongside of us, he'll hear us, and he'll help us not have to stay there either. So, verse 9, he tells us how to pray. And it seems maybe just a little bit ironic because he's saying, don't be robotic, be authentic, all those things. But then he says, here's how you pray. And so maybe it feels a little inauthentic, but here's the really important thing. He says, and this is how you pray. Not exactly what you say. You must not exactly say these words, but what he's saying is, here's a theme. Here's an outline. Here are principles for how you are to engage our Father. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Stop right there. Don't you find it interesting that he doesn't just say, Father in heaven? Isn't that a great detail that he says, Our Father in heaven? And I think it's this family unit. In the Old Testament, you don't see this language a ton, but, but Jesus is talking about we now have a Father, that it's not just God, it's our Father, too. And it's this family dynamic that you are my brothers and sisters, and we get to come to our Father in prayer. And I think um, it reminds me, like last year when I came, I remember distinctly, I, I gave some messages, and I would refer to Morgan, I'd say my wife initially. I wouldn't say Morgan. Now if I was introducing her, I would say Morgan because you all know her now. And so you'll often see Jesus talk to the Pharisees and he'll refer to God as just God because the Pharisees don't really know God as their father. But here when he's talking to his disciples, he says, we get to use this language of it being our Father that we get to talk to. Now, that changes things, doesn't it? That when somebody has a really good Father, that changes everything. And that's exactly what we have. It's exactly who we have. And so we can come to Him, and just like you would any good Father, you'd say, okay, if that Father is going to be there, then, man, everything else is going to be okay. Everything else is going to be okay. And so starting our prayer with that language of saying, Our Father is us saying, if we're in the presence of our Father, everything else is going to be okay. Everything else is going to be okay. It says, Hallowed be your name. Another way to say this is, Great is your name. Or, Your name is so worthy to be praised. And what this does when we pray is, it allows us first and foremost to praise God, not our worries, not 
our anxieties, not those things. And it's not that we don't address those things with him. It's just that we address what is most worthy to be praised first, and that's his name. And then when we bring those worries later, it can be in the right perspective of where it ought to be. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we have to remember, we, all the time, we, we create these little kingdoms. It's like our, our kingdom, right? Or my business's kingdom, or my family's kingdom, and all that, right? And, and it's our will. It's the things that we want to do. But to come before him and say, no, 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 I'm putting that aside, and I want your kingdom, Father. I want your will. I want to see your kingdom be manifest on earth just like it is in heaven. And I want to see your kingdom grow on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to see us experience the fullness of the kingdom, your kingdom, not our own kingdom. Verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. Another way to say this is, God, I can't survive without you. I mean, everything that you've given me to this point, you are the one who has sustained me. I haven't earned anything on my own. I mean, I can't make it nearly as far as maybe I thought before I knew you. And so we come to him and we say, God, if I'm going to be sustained today, it's going to be because of you. And we looked at Psalm 42 about a month ago, and it was this prayer of, like, God, I desperately need you. And if we ever get to a point where we don't feel that way, we're, we're fooling ourselves, aren't we? That we absolutely need him every second of every day. Give us what we need today. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see the assumption here? Jesus assumes that if we're asking for God to forgive our debts, then we've got to also be willing to forgive our debtors. You know, I think God is really grieved when there's unforgiveness towards a brother or sister. I mean, I really, really believe that he's grieved over that. I mean, any of you who have multiple kids here, you would you'd know that if one kid was holding a grudge against another kid, that would grieve your heart, Right? And I think it's so important to Jesus that we forgive our brothers and sisters that he actually puts this in the way that we pray. To say, if we're going to ask God for forgiveness, then we need to search our own hearts too and make sure that we're forgiving the people around us as well. This isn't just a suggestion. This is so critically important. And I believe that if we become a people of forgiveness, man, watch what God's going to do with that. I mean, if you're here tonight and you're holding on to some things, let me encourage you, let those things go. Forgive that person of that debt because what's going to happen then is you're going to experience so much freedom and you're going to experience His Spirit really doing something in your heart and in your life. So tonight, if there is any unforgiveness in your heart, please go ahead and address those. Y'all, forgiveness just takes us. I mean, reconciliation takes two parties, right? But forgiveness takes one. That's just us. That's our hearts to say, I'm going to release that person of that debt that they owe me. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one. As if to say, protect us, Father. Protect us. I mean, we know that we cannot resist the enemy's temptations on our own, that we've got to have your hedge of protection over our lives. And so we ask, Father, we, we ask for you to protect our hearts. And you know, God has done a lot at Grace Meadows Church, especially over the past like six months. He's done a ton here. She's right. She's happy about it too. And I caught myself just this week thinking, is there some sort of like blueprint that we're setting? Are there some like really good things that we're doing to make that happen? And I sensed this is the road that leads to pride. This is the road that leads to thinking, you know, I'm really, I'm really doing something. And the fact remains that Jesus said what? He said, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Not anybody else. He said, I will build my church. And so we get to just simply be a part of what God is doing. And what that allows us to do is to say, if, if we come to him and we say, God, lead us not in temp- temptation, we're recognizing that, you know what, there are things that can happen in our lives if we're not careful. And so we need you, God. We need you. We're desperate for you. We realize everything is you in our lives. And so we need you to create a hedge of protection over any kind of pride that could pop up. You know, um, a lot of people at this point have thrown in, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, which I think is a really cool way to end a prayer. But as I was reading, um, there are some versions that, that put that in there. Um, it's not actually what Jesus originally said. Um, in Luke, it recounts the, the Lord's Prayer, and at no point has that ever been changed. But about 500 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, they started adding this in there to Matthew. So the original texts don't have, uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, but... There is biblical precedent for it. If you look at 1 Chronicles 29, 11, David says this. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, all men, is, is simply a, a church tradition, but it is rooted and biblical principles. Uh, in Matthew 6 here, though, Jesus actually leaves this prayer open, doesn't he? I mean, he goes and he says, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's essentially the end of the prayer. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's leaving this open for us now, now that our hearts are prepared, now that he's told us how to pray, now this is our time to bring any of those other things that we feel like we need to bring to him. And we got to get this order right. It's so important, right? Because you may have needs that you, you come to him with, and if you come to him first with those things, then you get everything out of order. But if you get the order right, you might find that you don't even need to bring those needs anymore because our perspective has been rewired. But if there are still things that we need to bring to him, I think he leaves it open to say, now's your time to do those things. Now's your time to bring these things to him, and he wants to hear those things from you.
Now, he ends this section of his sermon with this in verse 14. He reiterates one more time. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, Jesus has left this open for us to bring our needs to him, but it's almost as if a reminder. In case you didn't take it seriously when I said this before, go forgive your brother or your sister. Before you bring all those other needs, go forgive your brother and sister. Because here's the thing, I used to think, oh, maybe that sounds a little bit petty from God, right? Like, you act first, and then I'll act. But I think what's happening here is actually an incredible invitation. Because if we go ahead and ask Him for the things that we desire from Him, but we still are harboring unforgiveness in our heart, then we will not be able to enjoy the things that He blesses us with after we've asked Him. Because there's something about unforgiveness that truly does lead to discontentment. I mean, you can, you can read you know, studies on that today, that there's a heaviness to unforgiveness. So we've got to first go and forgive that brother and sister, and then when we ask for that thing and God grants it to us, then we can actually enjoy that thing that we've asked him for. That's how serious Jesus is about forgiveness. Why? Because he knows that our hearts can't function and actually embrace the purpose and embrace the things that he has for us if we're hanging on to things that we just weren't made to hang on to. And so he says, essentially, if you're having trouble doing that, just remember that what God has forgiven us from, right? That the thing that that we may be holding on to here tonight, that pales in comparison to what we've done against God. And that God has forgiven us of those things. So then that frees us and allows us to be a people of forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's invitation to us so that we can actually experience Him to the fullest. That we can experience His grace, His mercy, and come before Him and ask freely because we're not weighed down by unforgiveness. So, let's review here, because again, we talked about themes, right? Not just the exact words of the Lord's Prayer, but themes. Uh, The first one is connection. So, this connection that is between brothers and sisters, we say our Father, this is brothers and sisters coming before our Father. This is a connection. May we focus when we pray on connecting as a family unit. The second one is praise. We come to him and we say, God, you're worthy of our praise, and we praise your name first and foremost. We don't praise the thing that we're worried about first and foremost. We praise your name before we bring our need. And then the next one is submission. We say, God, your kingdom come. We're reminded of his kingdom. We, we want to uh, put our little kingdoms aside and embrace this kingdom of God. And we say, in just the same way, we say, God, it, it's your will. It's, it's just your will. I, I want to actually submit to your will before I come and bring my need. And then the next one is uh, dependence. We say, give us today our daily bread. We are dependent on you. 
Father? Are we a people that are dependent on him here tonight? We come to him and we say, God, I depend on you. I mean, everything is you. Everything has been a gift from you, and I depend on you. And the next one is forgiveness. Forgiveness from him towards others. May we be a people who incorporate in our prayers each day. God, forgive us. We, I mean, we have messed it up once again, and we need your mercy. We need your grace, and we're also going to extend that to other people constantly in our lives. And then the last thing is, sorry I couldn't you know, make this a, a little bit more cool sounding or something, but just whatever else you got. Just bring them, bring them whatever else you got. I mean, and that's the thing. That's how we opened, right? That that God just wants to hear from us. And so the fact is that we can bring those things as, as cheesy as it may sound, you know, or you feel like, I don't know if he has time for this, which is a whole other message for another day. God has time for you. He's outside of time. He hears every single thing that's on your heart. You may as well just go ahead and bring those things to him. So to close our time, this is a spiritual practices series So I thought maybe we would take about four or five minutes to practice prayer here together tonight. And then I'd love to to read a prayer here together at that time. So here's what I'd love for you to do. If you could throw that last slide back up there, if you don't mind there, Luke. We're going to put this on the screen. And I'd love for you individually to just pray these things. These concepts, these themes from the Lord's Prayer to sit and we'll come back together thereafter and we'll pray together we'll have one more song and we'll worship sound good all right let's do it